we see a lot fewer instances of of passing uh, businesses on to family members. Family members are going to go yeah. do other things, and so you, you need to sell to a third party. Welcome to the MBBI Trends and M&A Podcast. I'm Greg Fenn with Whipley Corporate Finance Advisors, your host for today's broadcast. Today's guests are Paul O'Neill, Managing Director of Whipley Corporate Finance Advisors, and Mike Pichette, Managing Principal, Falcon Advisors. Mike is also a current MBBI board member. Thank you, Mike. Both Whipley and Falcon are current MBBI dealmaker sponsors. So thank you both. Um, let's start with Mike. Why don't you introduce yourself and your firm? Uh, thank you. Uh, we're a, a small firm uh, here in Chicago, uh, just uh, two guys uh, with 20 to 30 years of experience in the M&A market. Uh, we get our deals uh, through referral. So uh, we're generalists. We go where the referrals take us. Uh, we've done a lot of deals in the manufacturing sector. Uh, distribution and some service types of companies. Uh, I think uh, we would maybe distinguish ourselves because we uh, each have operating experience. Uh, we've been on the other side of the table uh, or the same side of the table as our clients uh, are. So I think we have a good understanding of, of the challenges that our clients have. And I think it helps us tell the story a little bit better uh, than the average. Um, our deal size is uh, in the smaller end of the middle market, uh, EBITDAs of one to five million. Terrific. And we all know your partner, Mr. Tom Whipple, Whipple. Yep. former past uh, president of MBBI. Uh, so uh, we're very pleased uh, to have you guys here today uh, Thank you. Um, for our podcast. Uh, Paul, why don't you talk a little bit about yourself and Whipple? Yeah. Thank you, Greg. Mike, it's great to be here with you as Same. well. Um, Whipley Corporate Finance Advisors is the FINRA licensed investment banking arm of the national CPA and consulting firm Whipley LLP. Uh, Greg, we have six offices located between uh, Chicago, Minneapolis, St. Louis, Milwaukee, and Madison, Wisconsin. Um, the vast majority of our engagements are sell side MA representation. Um, you know, in terms of who we serve, uh, we really focus on, you know, middle market and tend sometimes end up in the lower end of the middle market. Our transaction values, as a way of how we think about it, are anywhere between 20 and $200 million uh, typically. Um, from an industry perspective, uh, we've historically served manufacturing, distribution, and, you know, B2B or business service companies. You know, that definition as, as our parent firm grows, um, continues to grow with it. But just from a historical perspective, that's who uh, we've historically served. Terrific. And Paul, thank you very much. Uh, we know you guys, both of you have been very, very busy. I know 2021 has been an outstanding year for uh, many investment bankers and our private equity friends. Uh, um, as investment bankers, though, uh, why don't you give us a few of your general market observations over the last six months and what you're seeing as we really enter 
into the still uncertain environment of 2022? And we'll start with you, Paul. Thanks, Greg. Um, I think a couple of themes uh, that have played out over the last six months, last year, continue to today. Um, first, I what I've been calling for some time, you know, for a year or so. I think we're in the third inning of the secular baby boom retirement trend. So if you take a look at the baby boom ages, the youngest end of that is, depending on how you define it, is right around 55 plus or minus a few years. So if you think of that that runway, there you know, a lot of baby boomers and their companies have either retired, transacted, transitioned, but we're nowhere near the middle of that secular trend. In fact, you know, like I said, third, third inning. So I think, We've seen that in a lot of our transactions as the genesis for why folks are transacting. Maybe there's not a next generation. Maybe just the, the money that they'd end up leaving on the table in an internal transfer just compared to what an M&A market sale um, might generate. It, it's really all a function, though, of that secular baby boom trend. Um, the other thing that I'm seeing is I'll call it scarcity value. And this is a, a trend I don't think is going away anytime soon. There are far more buyers out there right now than there are sellers. And then you look at the institutional private equities, strategics, high net worths. When you have more buyers than you have sellers, it, you know, it's a those, good place to be in if you're a seller. Is, correct. Now, you have me a little concerned because I'm on the last <laughs> age rung of the Generation X before the baby boomers. But uh, Mike, what, how about your perspectives? What are you seeing? What what have you and Tom seen in the market over yeah, the last I would, six I months would or so? Reiterate what Paul said, and I guess I would I would maybe add to the to the issue on the baby boom. It seemed like for a long time the boomers weren't really uh, taking advantage of uh, selling, mm-hmm. and I think part of that was the the economic downturn of two thousand eight, and they they were rebuilding the value in their businesses. So they were not really ready to sell. I think those people are now kind of getting into the market. I think the the pandemic slowed that down a little bit, but but now mm-hmm. it's they're rushing into the market. And I think some of that might be exhaustion of Hey, you know, I've I've been through a couple of tough yeah, cycles. It was very yeah. tough. Yeah. Um definitely 2020 through current has been difficult as well. And there has been that fear with a lot of the baby boomers uh, that if I retire, I'm kind of becoming irrelevant. So, you know, you are seeing people working longer and you are also seeing family businesses really don't have a family behind them to succeed them right. properly. We see a lot fewer instances of, of passing uh, businesses on to family members. Family members are going to go yeah. do other things, and so you, you need to sell to a third party. And um, well, and and in, to your point about the the supply and demand, you know, and and that's been going for many years mm-hmm. with the private equity groups raising tremendous amounts of money. Uh, the strategics balance sheets are generally in in Very great strong. shape. Yeah, yeah. so uh, that that should continue you know, very much into 2022. Um, so very strong market. And and on top of that, I would say the lending environment mm-hmm. remains very strong. Even if we have some interest rate increases, historically, the the interest rates are going to be very low, um, you, know, you know, compared to 20, 30 years ago. So that, that should continue ab- to ab- absolutely. support deal. 
flow. You go back uh, early 2020 when March, when COVID hit um, with the lending environment, we'd had a very positive tailwind from the banks lending right. into deals. <laughs> COVID hit and for a few months, I know we at Whipfly had a couple of deals that actually got paused because the banks literally mid-deal reassessed. And once everyone, business sellers, buyers, banks figured out that the government, the Fed was gonna come in and backstop through liquidity and that this wasn't going to be a repeat of 2008, those deals came back online and closed. And we st- and we are there today, you know, it's not without you know, other macro risks that may or that are kind of swirling at the time, but you're right that the lending environment is very supportive of M&A. So we're still in a period of uncertainty a little bit. Uh, you know, there's no shortage of different uncertainties. You know, it used to be just COVID-19. Now it's supply chain, employee retention, inflation, interest rates, oil, Russia. Um, what are you guys seeing as you're reviewing opportunities in terms of the quality of prospects coming to you in terms of, hey, I wanna sell, Mike, uh, what is my business worth? Is this something that you wanna represent? Or, hey, Paul, we're looking for these opportunities from the PEs and the strategics. Do you have any? Uh, um, Tell me a little bit about the quality. Yeah, I would say it's a a bit of a mixed bag. Um, In the the one case, you have companies that, that perform very well through the pandemic and business looks to be booming and the the tailwinds uh, continue. So those companies are going to be able to command uh, good multiples. They'll be able to tell a good growth story and that sort of thing. On the other hand, you've got companies that, that did struggle through the pandemic. And so they're still trying to come out of that. In some cases, we would say, you know, keep maybe wait in the market, continue to build the business and try to to get good trends. I think when it comes to value, people pay for trends, uh, positive trends. No, I agree 100%. Paul, anything to add? It's why talking to a professional like Mike or myself becomes so important because for the pre, for the companies that are performing, have our best of breed, they're going to always command premium multiples, you know, regardless. It's for those companies that have maybe faltered, understanding the why behind the faltering. Um, is this temporary or is this something longer term trend wise that's going to be, you know, viewed by the market as a, as a significant negative and working with, you know, someone like Mike and myself who do this for a living day in, day out, know the buyers, know 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 what's going on we're gonna be able to help you assess really where you fit into in your industry the MA market overall and and where you fit into where this post you know dare i say post maybe that's optimistic but post covid time that we're hopefully heading towards so some things have changed forever no i i tend to agree and i also don't think there's any new ppp around the horizon so mm. you know i know there was always a uh a coming of distress is that is that going to enter the market and kind of a calling of some of the poor performers that hasn't happened yet. Um, are you seeing more distressed opportunities? Thinking of selling where they they may have to find a strategic because the bank's putting pressure on them. Yeah, or? I think a little bit more for for a while. The the uh, the Fed guidelines were that the banks weren't going to be pushing people out the door. So that, that and, and the, the PPP, ERC, EIDL, all the different <laughs> government Acronyms, programs yes. were, were there to support 
companies that were struggling and mm-hmm. they weren't necessarily supposed to be for companies that were struggling pre-pandemic, but that's what's mm-hmm. ended up happening, I think, is that there are a number of companies that have, have managed to stay in existence and and kind of muddle through the last couple of years with, with those government programs. At some point, they have to do something, right? Because there probably aren't going to be ongoing programs to, to support them. And if they don't fix the, the fundamental issues in their businesses, yeah, they, need to, they need to find a strategic that, that might be able to help with that. But Greg, make no mistake. We're talking, you know, there are some distressed, you know, opportunities or, you know, some, some of those signs a little bit right now. There are companies, the exact opposite, that the pandemic has been a boon and the the tailwind of it. Think plastics industry. I've got a client right now that, you know, makes, you know, equipment that ends up in that industry. And the plastics industry has never been stronger than it is today. You think of all the individual food packaging that goes on and film and bag and shipping, packaging, all of that. I mean, that is that is a tailwind that for anyone who's got a niche and a best of breed company product process, I mean, you are in high, high demand right now. Yeah, there, there still are some industries that are still poised for continued growth. Correct. And that kind of, you know, leads me to the next question is as... You know, we ended 2021 with, you know, a lot of records, right? Record deal flow, high watermarks on valuations, uh, really best-in-class transaction structures for our sellers, um, lower risk profiles for the sellers, higher risk profiles for the, the buyers. Uh, is that trend going to continue, and is it going to be more industry-specific going forward for those companies that truly deserve that? Um, you know, Paul, do you want to start there? Yeah, I, I think I think that's that's been a, that's a truism. Always, there's going to be there's going to be certain industries that are winners and certain industries that are you know the losers. Not the right word, but maybe you're a little bit more challenged. Um, at the end of the day, though, you know if you're a company, regardless if you're in an industry that's maybe not streaking forward from COVID tailwinds or what have you. If you have a product, if you have significant IP, if you have a management team, you have blue chip customer base, there is always a market for for that type, that profile of a company that someone is always looking for that opportunity. And eventually the Fed will get us down to a more normalized growth rate. They'll, They'll start to tame the economy a little bit. And companies more strategics are going to be looking for enhanced growth through acquisition. Uh, Mike, your comments. Yeah, I think that uh, it there are risks uh, associated with it. I, uh, to your point, though, Paul, the good companies are always going to be able to to sell. They will always command favorable uh, multiples. Um, the risks, I think, become more macro right now. And, mm-hmm. and uh, for sure, Greg, you mentioned just the uncertainty with uh, with inflationary pressures right now, the supply chain issues. Uh, I think those are some of the risks mm-hmm. that that even buyers are taking into account and and those might pressure uh, valuation a bit. Have you, Mike, have you seen valuation pressures? because I'll be candid. 
to date, as of today, knock on wood, we I have not um, from a from a valuation perspective. Have you seen anything? Um, not not really. I I pointed that out as a risk. Yeah. Maybe I think Correct. the other thing I would point out is that maybe the the market uh, that we're in mm-hmm. is a little bit different. You're at the higher end of the middle yeah. market. We're at the lower end. The the frothiness that's in the market is not. As doesn't, frothy doesn't as get you go down, down the to food. that. Yeah. Exactly. Right. They've so, been more consistent. They're steady right. eddy. Uh, right. This is where the values are. Uh, they may be still you know, on the higher side in terms of structures and such, but uh, um, really not in terms of multiples uh, uh, in that yeah. regard. Uh, um, how are you guys managing processes in terms of, look, we do have a lot of uncertainty out there. We are at higher valuations and better structures. Uh, how are we managing, you know, the more enhanced due diligence and the transaction timeline for the clients? Uh, what are you seeing? I, I mean, are the timelines, they're trying to condense, but they're trying to do a lot more. Um, from, you know, from the, the strata that we serve, it's, it's about prep. Having your um, your due diligence materials, your data room ready to go, so that after you've gone through the marketing phase and now you're in with just a limited number of folks who are coming through for management presentations and opening of the data room, everything is there. It's not okay. Let's here's just a few things and we'll do the rest later. It's here is everything before we launch that data room's ready to go, and it's also you know making sure that the team you're working with has the frankly the bandwidth to push that hard, and that's your investment bankers, your accountants. Your your lawyers, because any one of those um, chinks in the chain, if you will, are, um, can, can slow a process down. You've got to be able to move as quick as buyers can move in private equity, can move very quick. 45 days of done deals that quickly, 60 maybe is a norm, but it's you've got to be able to move. Yeah, and the skilled buyers, they're accustomed to a more condensed time frame. Mm-hmm. But Mike, sometimes the unskilled buyer you know, the older executive like myself, I'm falling in that category. If I want to buy my, you know, longer term future or whatnot, how do you manage them where they want to continue a longer due diligence? Uh, well, that is a, a, a big challenge. Uh, and, and the last deal we closed uh, from start to finish was nine months. And it was, uh, you know, just it was very tough to keep keep the pressure on and that was really uh, the the uh, the legal documentation in that case mm-hmm. and uh, I think that was somewhat unique but I think in general uh, at that low end of the the market we're seeing extended time periods to get deals closed um, they're doing a little bit more due diligence and it's just taking a bit longer to get those done so I would say in the six to nine month, maybe pushing a little bit uh, beyond the nine month time fer- period for small deals. It's funny you said legal. the legal side slowed you down. It's so critical to have counsel that knows deals, oh, yes. knows market <laughs> norms, knows the pace, because you, you don't have time and you can't afford to get bogged down. You know, just having that process drag, drag out, time kills deals, exactly. as you know. Well, and you got to know what fights are worth fighting. Correct. Uh, so you have to kind of pick and choose. Uh, as we're running out of time, I want to kind of, you know, just kind of hear from your perspective, any other hot topics or uh, points of consideration that we should be uh, looking forward to or being aware of in this environment, uh, uh, specifically as it relates to the M&A. 
work that you guys do. Well, I, I would reiterate what Paul just said, and that is what, what we try to tell our clients is make sure you have a very strong deal team. Uh, it, if you have, you might have a lawyer who's been your, your personal lawyer for many years. You need to get a, a good transaction lawyer. Yep. You need to, if, if it's uh, helping with due diligence, get a firm, a, mm-hmm. an accounting firm that can help with the due diligence, pull that information together, uh, and it'll just make the, the yep. transaction go much better, and uh, it will increase value. And it takes a little pressure off you as an investment banker that you know that you can rely on those uh, professionals. Uh, Anything to add, Paul? Credibility. All those aspects, those different parties to the deal team you just discussed. And, you know, part of that was just call it um, uh, acumen as part of it. It gives you credibility with a buyer when you come to the table with with a a deal lawyer, deal accountants, deal advisors that know what they're doing. You're less likely to have a buyer drag things out, play games when they know they're dealing um, with a symmetrical, so symmetrically sophisticated seller on the other side. So. Correct. And no one likes surprises and everybody likes consistency and follow through. Uh, thank you, Paul. Thank you, Mike. Very insightful discussion. Uh, thank you, MBBI, the Enclave Learning and Earning Center and Studio 75 and Andrew for hosting us today. This is Greg Wolfen with Wolfley Corporate Finance Advisors signing off for MBBI. Thank you and enjoy the day.